all year, November 18th. Thanksgiving, no, 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 November 18th. But I've got my kids baptized November 18th. All year, no matter what important date, and of course, it's tongue-in-cheek. Obviously, family things are important. But if you lived in East Tennessee, November 18th has been marked on the calendar. Maybe you've got it in red Sharpie. Maybe it's the big, bright yellow circle. But November 18th between Tennessee and Georgia was supposed to be the game. It still is the game, but with not so much or as much as we initially thought is on the line. Dan Young from UGA Sports is going to tell us about just the realistic chances of Georgia having a letdown game seven days after having a polished game against Old Miss and Tennessee. Perhaps maybe it was just an egg laying that happened in Columbia, Missouri. But yet, Dane, who hasn't laid an egg in Columbia, Missouri? Oh, just Tennessee? Okay. But I hope you're doing well. This Georgia team, when they lost Brock Bowers a couple weeks back, many people thought, here it is. This is their vulnerable part. Nope. They just started running through teams even more. What's this Georgia team shown you through chapter one, chapter two? Now here we go getting to the climax and the close and another trip to Atlanta in the next couple of weeks. You beginning with the schedule and the calendar is interesting because all off season, and we said this too, Georgia has an easy schedule. It doesn't really ramp up until November. And even then, at that point, I don't think any of us knew that Missouri was going to end up being a no doubt top 10 team and a team right. that if, if this was next year, Missouri would be a dangerous team for like playoff national championship. That's mm -hmm. the quality of play that they have right now. They, they had a chance to take the lead on Georgia or at least tie Georgia, I believe in the last seven minutes of the game in Athens. And that's something I didn't think was capable for Missouri. I'm super impressed with them. So I know Tennessee fans are down on that game and should be for the way that Tennessee played. But I think Missouri is excellent. Like You can potentially make the argument that's the second or third best team in the SEC right now. They went toe-to-toe -to -toe with Georgia, and it was tough. But schedule-wise, I look at this, and I'm saying – yeah, this is not the game that we projected that it would be, and Georgia kind of stumbled out of the gate sometimes. If you're looking for a sign of hope from your Tennessee side, it's that Georgia is pretty much untested on the road. If you look at Georgia's schedule, it had at Auburn, Jordan-Hare Stadium, a game that it probably should have lost against an Auburn team that's not as good as Tennessee, in my opinion. Right. And Georgia did not play well that day. Otherwise, the road game's been at Vandy which is construction site and mostly Georgia fans anyway. And then you had neutral site against Florida. Georgia has not done the road tested thing yet, but this is a team that is playing better than it has all year long. When you see the way that Georgia has played, not just this year, I want to take it another step back. This 27 game winning streak is some, some, some kind of impressive streak. And, and I don't mean it in a way of just, well, George is good. We know George is good, but what, how good could they be this year? Even with the relative ease, as some people would put it, and you, you play the schedule that you have, Georgia has found ways to dominate the teams. And I question if they still had Oklahoma on their calendar. I still question if they had some of the teams or if the, "Quote unquote West rotation, we're about to lose. Maybe, perhaps it can't. It rolled something else. Maybe another opponent. What? What is it about Kirby Smart? I'm sure recruiting is going to be the first question. But what is it about Kirby Smart that just makes him turn to his team and go? They're doubting us again. Even though everybody in the country sits back and goes, here goes Georgia again. It just seems like what we say, but what's said in that facility, what's in that field house, it is noise canceling. And he's got him believing this is the way." 
He's still the same competitor that was an undersized college football player in the 90s that was trying to play on a team that wasn't as good, that didn't have the talent out there, that he knew couldn't be an NFL player one day. Like this guy played with a chip on his shoulder and loves the game and loves being competitive, but he was obsessed with Michael Jordan in the 90s. And I think we all got a window into that with the last dance of what that can do. Yeah, he says he doesn't listen to the outside noise. He uses it all as motivators. And I was probably one of the people that was used somewhere at this point in the season because after the first game this year, Year. I said, I don't think Georgia coined a, a national championship with Carson Beck. I did not see it with him at all. And now at this point, we flash forward to, to November, and this guy's a Heisman candidate, and we're talking about is he going to go pro or is he going to come back the next season? He's right. playing at a very high caliber right now. Now, I'll tell you, when you have Brock Bowers and Ladd McConkey working routes off of each other, that makes things a lot easier. When you have the offensive line, which is getting healthier than it's been all year, gets a lot easier but right but between Carson Beck being the new quarterback between Mike Bobo being the play caller coming back for his second stint at Georgia there were a ton of questions about this offense I think the the part of it that was kind of the steadying factor was Kirby Smart and yeah you're right it's recruiting it's all about players and Georgia's done that better than anyone recently and it shows when you can replace a Stetson Bennett with a Carson Beck and then him play at this level not making a ton of mistakes it's great coaching yeah, but it's not the same NFL talent. Let me take that back. It's not the flow or the boil over of NFL talent. I mean, you look at Georgia's teams in every draft. It's, oh, Philadelphia is turning into Athens North. Or how many Georgia players, how many Gs do you see tagged to teams who are drafting players? Who knows where the talent will go NFL-wise? But it's not gushing with talent. Mm -hmm and they're still being just as effective and executing just at a high level. That was a clinic, what they put on last week against Ole Miss, and there were people in there who goes, oh, it's different now. Lane's playing loose. He's got house money. You got two black guys in an empty pocket when you left Athens. What What is it about it? What is it? Well, for that game in particular, it was the, the two, no doubt, first-round picks on this team next season they did come back and it was Brock right. Bowers and it was Amarius Mims, the right tackle. And so those two guys together, just body wise, production wise, they will be first round picks in the NFL. I don't know that at this point is at least for next year's draft that you could say that about anyone on the team. Now in two years, Malachi Starks will be there. He'll be a first round pick safety. There are other guys I can sit there and point to. I can tell you some of the true freshmen that have come on and emerged, which is really the differentiator at Georgia, which is right. you lose a guy like Jamon Dumas Johnson, who has played a ton of SEC football and you replace him with a guy that may not give him his job back if he got healthy like that's georgia can do that and most teams can't that happens in recruiting when you look at georgia this year where is the strength because i can point to a couple of things watching just four or five georgia games complete but it seems like they find new ways to win games whether it's look nobody plays a perfect game but it seems different units in and different levels of their defense you turn and you flip over the highlights, you go secondary. Oh, linebackers got, oh, and there's the defensive front getting to the quarter. But what is it about this whole roulette of victory that Georgia seems to have every week? There was an odd moment in early October where Georgia was down to two scholarship running backs and yeah. two scholarship tight ends. And that just felt very weird because Georgia pumps out tight ends. It pumps out running backs historically. And it, it hasn't been as deep there. Lost Branson Robinson before the season. I think that's the best running back on the roster. Hasn't played all year because of an ACL. He'll be back next year. They've been fine at running back. When Bowers came back, that you know they're top in great with Bowers. But if you compare this last year, where that's Bowers plus Darnell Washington, right? It's just a different team. I think offensively, the magic has been last year. It was Bowers and Washington. How much stuff can you run off of that? Because no one can match up with that. 
They get something similar this year with Bowers and Lad McConkie when they do things together because McConkie is still nationally underrated. This guy is a superstar. He is one of the best players of the Kirby Smart era. I think he's going to be a really good NFL receiver. And no, it's not the undersized white guy receiver. It's this guy is a fast athlete that can make devastating cuts and make a lot of good defensive backs look like they don't know how to play football. Clearly, Tennessee fans very familiar with the Lad McConkie story every single time they see him make a reception. And I'm sure... He'll feel uh, no different inside Neyland Stadium, which, by the way, Tennessee's 14 home game winning streak last fell 2021 to the Georgia Bulldogs. Yeah. I want to focus on Brock Bowers. Dane Young continues to join us here. I asked this question more rhetorical because I want you to go deeper with the ingredients because I've seen his game and I know how talented he is. If he could have left as a sophomore, he probably would have been a top seven pick last year. Yeah. What makes Brock Bowers brock bowers i think i didn't think i'd ever hear about a tight end talked about more in the sec than kyle pitts at florida and then brock bowers said i'm still coming what makes brock bowers make people just sit back and go my god he's that talented because he's just so good since he got on campus it's it's the work ethic one yeah, he was a COVID recruit and so he was doing the thing where he sets his phone up and runs up a hill and then sends that video to Georgia coaches and say this is what I'm doing working out right now and he did this in wine country in California like it, he I think the first time he had ever been to Georgia's campus was when he was signing up for classes or something like he was already committed to to do this so that's the first thing but the other, he just has some gifts that other people don't have so when you combine the effort that he gives on everything I remember a play, I think it was against Georgia Tech, his freshman season, where he catches a ball like 12 yards over the middle and he starts to sprint. And you're like, oh, he can run away from defensive backs. And most tight ends can't do that, right? They can right. run over them. They can maneuver things. They can do angles. No, he's sprinting away from them. And I get that it's Georgia Tech and I get that they don't have guys running 4-2 and 4-3 out there. But Brock Bowers probably runs like a 4-4. Right. Yeah, those are still ACC. Those are still ACC secondary guys. Yeah. I mean, and maybe they're from Atlanta. The point is, there's still South, still talent down there. I mean, yeah, you can't. I don't see. It's so funny you bring that up. I, that conversation has always irked me. It's yeah. always, well, of course you're going to do that against. No, that, that, but against that's the Virginia. thing. You're like, what? You and I yeah. watch a lot of SEC and ACC football. When you see something that you don't see every week, it stands out. It's like, okay, that that's a different – Darnell Washington was the same way. I'm like, I right. don't see guys LeBron James size out here that can catch passes. Now, he wasn't a route exactly. runner. He had some things he wasn't as good at. But you look at what do you have that can't be replicated, and Brock Bowers is that because of his speed. He's an underrated blocker. I think he'll be fine at that in the NFL. But any NFL team that drafts him as a, as a blocker and not a guy to get the football in his hands, they don't know what they're doing with when you see the way Kirby Smart has been dominating programs and he just continues to churn out national championships after national championships, do you think if they finish the story this year, they still have Georgia Tech? And I, and I know there's Tennessee fans watching, so they're going, hello, he still has not. And we're going to get to that. I'm just trying to set up to what ultimately is going to be. You guys already know I'm picking Georgia, and I've made a comment about it at my flagship station and on the show, and everybody's gotten upset. It's what it is, but I'm also well. Let me can I interrupt you at that point? Yeah, go ahead. Yes, please. Come on. Looking at this from someone that covers Georgia, Georgia has started slow four straight games. It's given up the opening touchdown to the opponent, and that includes Mm -hmm. like Vanderbilt in there, too. So, this is a streak that like we're talking about a lot around here. If Alabama 
uh, if Tennessee has a first quarter like it did against Alabama, where what should that that should have been like twenty four nothing to start? Yeah, like I know it, yeah. it wasn't quite what it should have been. The eleventh ranked uh, red zone efficiency showed its ugly head in Tuscaloosa. Yeah. Correct, they settled for threes when they needed sixes. Yeah, and it caught up to them because for yeah. the next three quarters it couldn't do that. That shows the potential top end of, and I know they're beat up more now than they were then. But the top end of Tennessee can compete with the Georgia. And like I've been telling our audiences all week long, Neyland Stadium, like Alabama got hit in the face. Now Alabama responded, and Tennessee couldn't do anything. Tennessee is, is a team that just doesn't have consistency, and that's what's with the quarterback. Exactly. You you need a, just an out of body experience from Joe Milton of like that guy just played an NFL game against Georgia. And there's nothing at this point to tell you he can do that for four quarters. But if he does, then Georgia's in for a day that it has to work harder than probably most people think it will. Uh, I think this is a one-possession game at halftime. I think there are a lot of people who are coming back from the bathroom and the beer stand going, told you, we're in this game. Yeah. And just like the second quarter in Gainesville, really it's funny because we were discussing it this way. And I think a lot – and I can't believe listeners were actually more receptive to this than I thought they were going to be when they were on the phones. People were, well, Florida, well, Alabama. And this was last week going into Missouri. And I said, well, hang on, oh, hang on. You guys are making it sound like it was the full game. If you really want to go in a micro view, it was the second quarter against Florida. They played keep away and you couldn't come back. And in Alabama, it was the third quarter because you didn't make any halftime adjustments. And I want you to name another coach who does better halftime adjustments than Nick Saban. So, and and some people think that's me, GBO, flagship, carrying water, whatever. But this Georgia team is not as good at keep away as like other Georgia teams in the past. Like this this is a past Georgia squad. Yeah, but Dan, you've also seen a point in time where you're like, okay, there's something going here, and then you just get absolutely walloped, and you wonder what effort you're going to get. And you already brought it up about where Tennessee is now with the injuries. They're a walking mass unit. Like, this this, this is a bad, bad time for a lot of these players to drop the way that they are. Uh, but to answer the question, to, 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 to kind of close on that last point, I think it's within a possession at halftime. Uh, I think people think there's a lot of – I think SEC Network or uh, CBS on SEC loves it. They're hyping it up. And then the lights are going to go out for this Georgia team. Do you believe right now that they have had enough tests? Tennessee might be that one. Ole Miss last week, Georgia. Te- Do you believe they have the tests to not only one, currently a three-point favorite SEC championship game in Atlanta, and then to go up against the likes of a, let's call it a Ohio State, Michigan, or the Florida States, or some of the teams that we've uh, the, we've seen them have to fend off so far? Jimmy's and Joe's, yes. I, I, again, I think Missouri's roster is awesome. And, I, man, some of the stuff that I've seen them do in the last month, I'm like, if they can build that for some next year, that's a sneaky team in the SEC, even with Texas and Oklahoma coming back in. I don't know what that's going to turn into. I, right. Yes, I think Georgia has played good enough teams and good enough players, and it's dominated some of them. Like I don't think Kentucky's very good this year, but they couldn't compete with Georgia at all. And previous right. iterations of Kentucky have done that. The atmosphere at Neyland Stadium, the road game, Carson Beck, if he just gets a little bit inaccurate, if Tennessee's able to get pressure, which is one of Tennessee's defensive strengths, getting a pass rush in there, they're going to have to really try to rush Carson Beck. If they let him throw, this game's over. And it's not going to be very close, and it's not going to be very close even early. Georgia can handle that very well. Um, In terms of what that means for future, I've talked to enough people that I'm beginning to think that at least seeing how Michigan has recently been playing and Ohio State not having a dynamic quarterback, there is more and more thought that the national championship may be in Atlanta this year with Georgia and Alabama. 
that either of those two teams going up against whatever's out there nationally would likely have a good, I think they'd be favored in the next two games. Now, Oregon is one I'm a bit, you know, I, I think Oregon's a good team if they can get in there. Washington, I don't think makes it there at this point. They have a tough three-game stretch I have them, uh, I have them falling. Um, we do segments, pick segments, all the things that we do and, and with a lot of the sponsored stuff. And um, uh, beating my chest on Oregon State with an upset this week. Uh, oh, you'll love this one too, Dane. Uh, God rest his soul. Um, we lost Bob Knight a couple of weeks back. Uh, I believe in twists and turns. I think Kansas basketball is good enough this year where they can run the table. That Tennessee fans love that with the link up of the <laughs> Valley Invitational. I know as soon as I said, they're like, this guy's taking crazy pills. Yeah. I'm just saying between the Michael Penix used to be committed at Tennessee tie with his uncles that still live here. And then the Kansas pick before you go to Thanksgiving's tournament, people are just like, why do you hate being a shock jock? Or why do you like being a shock jock and hate Tennessee? Um, that's a great question or a great comment you just made about Alabama because I think it's a perfect way for me to lean into this. Let's say for example, let's say for example, Bama does win that game. Has the conversation begun? Because everybody has plan A's and plan B's. Sure. Has Georgia fans or have at least radio television down there started talking about, okay, here's plan A, but if you do lose to Alabama, here's plan B. Are there any concerns that a two-time defending national champion with one loss will have any issues with this committee who at times when they've revealed on Tuesday, make people go, do we even know college football? Yeah. I know sometimes I sit back, but again, they're doing what I'm supposed to do on radio, and that is create content. There's a lot of concern with it only because there's more conferences and conference champions involved this time of year than in previous right. years. Historically, a team with Georgia's resume, two back-to-back -back titles, the winning streak, if it's a close game against Alabama, you're like, that's one of the best four teams in the country. You can't exclude that. But if it's an undefeated Florida State that's also in there, if Washington were to remain undefeated or Oregon avenges its only loss and has a better win against uh, Washington than Georgia would have against really any team in the country, Missouri would be its best win at that point. You, you just start to wonder, like, are, are there too many teams out there that can make a run here? Florida right. State, Texas, like Georgia needs to be going for Florida at this point. Florida needs to pull the upset against Florida State. They probably need Washington to go down. Maybe if, if Oregon could go down again, I don't think both of those things are going to happen. So you start looking at it here, you're, you're going to have Big Ten champ, you're going to have SEC champ, you're going to have Pac-12 champ. And then right. like you still have Florida State and Texas. Like would, would Texas get in? Because then they would have beaten Alabama and Georgia wouldn't have in that case. Right. So I, I think Georgia has to win to ensure that it gets in. Otherwise, it's going to be some weird resume uh, comparisons. Uh, last couple questions, 10-point spread, that good enough? It reminds me last week, because when it came out, Georgia fans were like, oh, I thought maybe a little bit bigger, frankly. But it reminds me a little bit of Kentucky and Alabama last week, where it was like, you know, that was an 11-point spread, and everyone said it's going to be a little sleepy on the road. Bama's not going to be motivated. By 12.03, I think Alabama covered. <laughs> and so I don't know that Georgia's going to do that, because I do think Tennessee's better than Kentucky, and I know the atmosphere at Neyland is far superior to what you get in Lexington. So I think it's going to be I'm more along the lines of what you're at. If this is a pretty close game for the first half, uh, Tennessee can show some life, but I just don't see Tennessee having the the sustainability on this team, the consistency on this team to make this a four-quarter game. I know you can't speak for everybody, Dane, but how do you view Tennessee or how do the fans in Athens view Tennessee? I mean, again, last six games between these two the dogs have won by double digits is there a concern with josh heupel is he on the up and coming is tennessee about to become a problem again i was about to say in the sec east but clearly the divisions are about to go dynamite but 
look, I'm not saying it's Tennessee, Alabama, it's Tennessee incoming Texas or Oklahoma, but how do Georgia fans view Tennessee? And what are your thoughts that there's a chance that this annual rivalry is no more based on how they do this three team or eight and one? You know where I'm going, the formations yeah. of these new schedules. I mean, Tennessee's already having to wake up to the reality there's probably not going to be Bama or Florida anymore. Now we got to get to the question there's probably not going to be Georgia anymore. Correct. On an because, annual basis. Yeah, the sacred annual game for Georgia is against Florida, and the sacred one for Alabama is Auburn. And so right. it kind of leaves Tennessee without a dance partner there. Getting uh, really juiced up for that Vanderbilt game every year. <laughs> but, I mean, in, in terms of, of wins, losses, Tennessee should probably be grateful for that in some cases yeah. because, like, we, we sit here and hype up Alabama. They still have to go into Jordan-Hare Stadium and do the thing that almost took out Georgia this year. Yeah. And I've seen worse Auburn teams beat better Bama teams in Jordan-Hare Love Stadium. the Hugh Freeze hire for them, by the way. I think, that, so, I think they're going in the right direction. I, I think the expanded SEC and the divisions going away – probably has the most potential to hurt Tennessee more than anyone else in the conference. Because just when you look at optics right now, you can say, man, last year, Tennessee, top 10 team, college football right. playoff, like second in the East. But with what George is doing, there's no shame in that right now, like building toward that. This year, not as good. Fine. I get that. But all of a sudden next year, if you have this conversation, you're like, is Tennessee the seventh best team in the SEC? And that's just not as sexy. And that's not what Tennessee is going to be fine with long term. And that's probably around the range. Uh, Texas would be better right now. I think Tennessee and Oklahoma, just at you know, program status would be about the same. And right. I, I don't know the long-term sustainability of that. What I do know is that people don't like playing Josh Heupel coach teams. So Tennessee right. would be silly to do anything against that right now, unless recruiting dips. And I think recruiting has been fine there right now. Heupel's done a good job so far. He needs to beat Florida. If, if, if they fall under what Florida's trying to build, that's the one this year that you can look at and you're like, oh, that felt bad. You like ripping off scabs, Nate? You like <laughs> no, no, no. Here's the thing. You know why I like doing these with you? Because you're like me. You're very upfront and honest. It's like, look, let the numbers and the past future predictors tell you what's gonna happen. I love that about you, but at the same time, I sit back and do you know how often many of the conversations in Knoxville, Tennessee goes, you can complain about Bama, Missouri all you want. You had no business losing in the swamp this year. And guess yeah. what? They're right when they say that. You're right when you say that. Tennessee had no business losing to this year's Billy Napier team. And I don't have an answer to why they did. I mean, because I know like, why they did. They peed down their leg, but they had no business losing that game. Because like preseason expectations, you'd say there's no way you can lose to Missouri that way. But for what Missouri is right now, and maybe I'm just on such a hype train with them, like I don't see a ton of shame there other than Tennessee didn't really play a good game and it got away from them late. But I, I'd seriously Number one think, rush attack, number one rush defense in the SEC. They couldn't stop the run and they got hit by a boulder every time they went to the line of scrimmage. The two uh -huh. things they're good at, Missouri said, not today, you're not. And Georgia Turn couldn't stop off. Schrader either. I mean, I right. didn't give up what Tennessee did. I'm just in previous iterations of the college football playoff where somehow right. a two two lost team sneaks in, Missouri would be right there. It's just so not okay. as many you're upsets okay. that happened this year. You're okay with them being at number nine because uh, we were talking with jo uh, Joel Klatt, and he was just like biased, SEC by. And I get it. He's a Big Ten guy, and he even if he doesn't firmly believe that, that's kind of where he's at right now. That's the ax he's grinding, and that's the agenda he's pushing. Missouri at number nine, you think that shoe fits? Not only do I think it fits, I think if if the goal is how is the team playing right now, I think they're one of the four best teams in the country right now. I get the resume, you can't do that, and that's why it's right. weird to have these rankings. If they would have found a way to beat LSU, I think they'd be in the playoff talk. And they should have. They were better than LSU that day, but defense 100%. gave up some stuff at the end.
that pick six makes the game look more out of hand than really what it was when LSU was happy to get out of there with their hands still intact and their body still intact because Missouri had them for three and a half, four quarters. That's really the story of the college football season to me is a lot of teams that should have lost found a way to win and vice versa because Ole Miss was not better than Tulane the, the day that I saw them play. Tulane should right. have beaten them. Uh, Oregon was better than Washington the day I saw them play. Washington won the game. Correct me if I'm wrong. Michael Pratt didn't play in that game against Ole Miss, did he? That's right. Yeah, that makes that. Uh, yeah, I, I thought that, and I, it was beginning of the season, so but I thought that was right. But to your point, yeah, it's. Uh, but but that's why you have to find a way to win these games, and you know, as as much shade as there is to be thrown at Billy Napier in Florida right now, they did the one thing that they could do to, that worked against Tennessee, and Tennessee didn't have something to come back with it. Uh, that happened. Auburn did that to Georgia, and it took Georgia three quarters to figure out how to stop their quarterback from running. Peyton Thorne is a mobile threat. Like, mm-hmm. it, look if if you want to, if, if there's a path for Tennessee to upset Georgia, then Joe Milton needs to run a ton. He needs to go off like 125 plus yards. I don't know if that's possible, but like I'm t- like that's what it's gonna. Georgia struggles against mobile quarterbacks. Most teams do, and. So if, if Milton wants to unlock some ungodly performance, then they can hang with Georgia longer. Go to the edit the player section of our favorite video game and pump uh, <laughs> those attributes up. Just I know. I know. It's crazy to say it. I just if he stands in the pocket, I don't think he's accurate enough throwing to to be. a. Th- I mean, he'll hit a couple of deep shot touchdowns. I can see that. But I can see him throwing two interceptions across the middle. And it's almost as if you've watched Tennessee football this year. Dan Young over at UGA Brother, if I catch you upstairs at Neyland Stadium, I wish you a happy Thanksgiving. If I don't, to you and yours, thank you for the time always, brother. Thanks, Tyler.